This message was presented at the GYC to the End in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Thank you for the prayer. I was kind of rebuked when he prayed. He said, help us to turn off our devices. I have my notes in my device, so... Okay. All right. If you're taking notes with your device, you can keep it on, right? Or using it for your Bible. Um, you guys are here for Martian men and Venetian women? We won't talk about... I'm just kidding. Everyone was like, what? I'm leaving. Okay. Um, we've been talking about the, the great controversy, um, issues in the great controversy. We've talked about the story of the great controversy, uh, the, the, the whole narrative, um, the, 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 I keep getting this word wrong, crux, not clux, right, crux and clutch, clutch is like, like, like the, transmission, oh, okay, <laughs> clutch is transmission, okay, so the, the crux of the matter in the great controversy has to do with God's character, okay, this is broad overview for those who are joining us for the first time. The, 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 the character of God is under attack. And what we ended with um, towards the end of our last session was that the way that we live our lives becomes a, a, an argument either in favor of God or in favor of the devil's accusations against God. So we want to live lives that argue in favor of God. Amen? A life that says, you know what? God is worthy of my trust. God is worthy of of me surrendering my life to him because because he's a God of love. When I refuse to surrender my life to him, I'm saying something about what I think of him. That's that's just the way it is. I'm saying I, I can't trust him with my life. I can't trust him with this aspect of who I am. So let's start in Psalm chapter 37. Turn to Psalm 37, verse 4. (coughs) Psalm 37 and verse 4. Psalm 37 and verse 4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Thank you. I shared, um, I think it was one of the first seminars, that I struggled, one of my struggle with surrendering to God was because I was afraid that he would end up making me do things that I didn't want to do. And um, it was two areas that I struggled with. One was I, I was afraid that I was going to be a boring person if I gave my life to Jesus. These were my real-life struggles. It's like, Lord... If I surrender to you, I'm going to be like those people at church who like never smile and like they're serious all the time and they never laugh. It terrified me. <laughs> I was like, I can't be a Christian if that's what it looks like. And, and the, all the holy people I knew never laughed. Yeah, see, all y'all not holy. <laughs> like that, that was at least what I considered to be holy. And I was like, I can't be a Christian if that's what it looks like. 
The second thing I was afraid of was that God was going to make me marry someone I didn't want to marry. <laughs> I don't know if that's like a haha, like you're funny, or haha, I know what you mean, okay? <laughs> because, I, and, and I shared this before, like every story I heard was, was yeah, you know, I, I was living my life and doing my own thing, and then I surrendered my heart to the Lord, and, and I would never have married this person, but then that's who I married, and I'm like, no! <laughs> like, Lord, no! Those were my two greatest fears that kept me from surrendering my life to the Lord. What I said at the end of that session was, what's stopping you from surrendering? You're afraid that he's going to take away your career. You're afraid he's going to take away certain relationships. You're afraid he's going to... What is that pet thing that you're like, I don't want to surrender this to Jesus because he's going to give me what I don't want in this area of my life. Well, we read in Psalm 37, it says that delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Text perplexed me. Okay, I delight myself in the Lord, but then what I desire in my heart is not necessarily what he would necessarily desire for me. So how is this going to work out? Like something's got to give. Either his desire or my desire. And I kind of want my desire. But this text actually resolves pretty easily. Is that when you delight yourself in the Lord, you actually change. You become a different person. And then the things that you thought you wanted before, they change. And you're like, I thought I wanted this, but I don't actually want that anymore. Right? Like, Growing up, I, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. I think being a doctor is great, all doctors out there. But I, I know it's kind of, maybe it's a little bit weird because if you're an Adventist and you want to serve Jesus, you should become a doctor. <laughs> but the more that, I, the more that I, I studied, the closer I became to God, the less I wanted to be a doctor. Because I didn't want to be a doctor. I just wanted the money, really. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> okay. You delight yourself in the Lord. He gives you the desires of your heart because the desires of your heart align with his desires for you. That is the promise I want to start with. That's the promise we will end with when it comes to these relationship things. Delight yourself in the Lord. Focus your life on Jesus. He changes you in such a way that the things that you now want for yourself becomes the things that are actually right for you. Okay? Okay, so now we're going to go into our great controversy theme. Turn to Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. Actually, let's start in Genesis chapter 2. We talked about the very first session, we talked about different attributes of God. These seven things about God that we we studied over here. And we drew them from Genesis 1 and 2. So we we also said Genesis chapter 1, you have, ending in chapter 2 verse 3, you have the creation narrative. And then you go to chapter 2 and you have a repetition of the creation story, but you have an enlargement of 
a certain portion of the story. You know, God, when God repeats something, it's because there's some important detail that is in there that he wants you to know. Okay, so he already talked about, he created everything. And he already talked about creating male and female. Let's read in chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Verse 27, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. You've got the creation of humanity there encapsulated in those two verses. And then he gives them instructions to be fruitful and to multiply and to work on the earth, right? But then you get to chapter 2, and it's like God's like, no, let me, let me zoom in on those verses, and let me expand on that part of the story. Now, there are theologians out there who will tell you Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 are completely different and separate creation narratives. That is not true. If you ever hear it, you need to expel it and ban that theologian from your life, Okay. <laughs> It's not true. It's a repetition and an enlargement of the same story. So here we go. We're repeating the story here. Chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. After he creates man, he plants a garden eastward in Eden, puts man who he formed in the garden, and he causes to grow all these these fruits and talks about the rivers that were there and then in verse 15 and the Lord God took the man put him in the garden to dress it and to keep it and then the God and then God commanded man saying of every tree of the garden you may freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou mayest not eat thou shalt not eat of it for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die after all of this okay we got in chapter 1 that God, when God made a decision to create humanity, he made a decision to create male and female. We got that, yeah? It says, so God made man in his image, male and fe- uh, in his image created he him, male and female created he them. So creating women was not an afterthought. Amen, women? Amen. Amen. All right. It was part of God's original design. God planned when he creates humanity... He's going to create male and female. Here's the beauty, right? In Genesis chapter 1, in that text where, all over Genesis chapter 1, you see the, the, the Trinity working. But especially when he talks about the creation of mankind, it's God says, let us make man in our image. You've got that plurality of language. So God, when he comes to creating humanity, he comes in his triune singularity. Right? It's a paradox. Like God is one, but he's three. He is one. And he says, let us make man in our image. And when he decides to make something in his image, he decides that it is also going to be a plurality. Let us make man male and female. Did you get that? I, I, I botched the word. Plurality. Let us make man, male, and female. So there's something about when, the, when God created, when he created all of humanity, he looked at himself as God and he said, I want them to reflect my image. Therefore, in order for them to do that, man cannot exist as just a man. Man has to exist as man and woman. 
Does that make sense? You following what I'm saying? There is a beautiful thing that happens when man and woman come together and reflect the image of God. That's why it can be the ugliest thing that can happen when man and woman come together and don't reflect the image of God. Because the way that God intended for it to be was that these two, male and female, come together and they too become one flesh in a similar way in order for us to try and begin to understand what the Godhead kind of looks like is what that marriage relationship is about. It's like, it's, it's like so that you can just begin to grasp a little bit of what it looks like. So that's why when you're married... Uh, those of you who are married and those of you who are close to or ever want to in your lives, which I think it might be everyone in here, um, that's why in marriage, you, when you get married, you don't become the other person. You know, like, there, there are crazy things that happen in the world. You know, the people who are like, man, a guy sees a girl and he's like, man, she's just dope, man. And like, he just, he wants to be absorbed in her. You know what I mean? Like, he, like if I could just, he, like, she would be my life. You know, she's my everything. She's my breath. She's my breakfast. <laughs> it's like, man, you lost yourself. Like, where your individuality, man? <laughs> That's not God's intention. Like. When you look at the Godhead, you got three persons, and they are individuals. They have separate roles. They have individual roles. God the Father is not God the Son, who is not the Holy Spirit. They're separate beings. And they, they got different things that they do. And that's okay in your relationship, to be separate beings. And yet, and yet they come together in a unity of purpose, here we saw in Genesis chapter 1. And they say, let us do something together. Let us make man in our image. So even though they've got separate roles, they're separate beings, separate individuals, they've got a unity of purpose, a unity of focus. That's why when you're looking for a spouse, you're looking for somebody to spend the rest of your life, if you guys don't have a similar focus, you are doomed to... Ah, you're going to have a horrible life. (laughs) Really. Because it's okay if he likes reading books and, and she likes running marathons. That's fine. But at the end of the day, is your focus the same? The best marriage advice, premarital advice I ever got was one of my mentors said to me, he said, Siku, when you decide that you want to get married, look for someone who has a love for the work of God. I loved that he said that. And then he said, you know what? I, I intentionally said a love for the work of God because if I say a love for God, you're looking for someone who's like all zealous and they go to church every Sabbath and they dress properly and they can preach and like whatever. And, and he's like, I'm not talking about that. You know, and, and I'm going to talk to the holy women in the congregation now because in my conversations with women who are really committed to the Lord, sometimes we can get uh, myopic in our comprehension of, you know, looking for someone who loves the Lord. 
Sometimes as women we can be like, man, I want someone who loves Jesus and you're looking for the preacher. <laughs> no, for real, right? Uh, you know I'm telling the truth. You're looking for the guy who leads out in Bible study every week. Because that's going to tell you that he loves the Lord. You're looking for the guy who is like, you know, he's a deacon at church because that's going to show you he loves the Lord. That's why this advice was really, really clutch for me. He said, look for someone, not someone who's upfront, somebody who seems to, you know, be all spiritual and stuff. He said, look for a man who loves God's people. He loves the work. His heart is in soul winning. Because that person may not be upfront leading a Bible study. He might be the guy in the back who when people come to church, he notices every visitor who comes in. And you'll never see him preaching in front. But he's the person who when they leave church, he's going to make sure he got their phone number and he's going to text them and say, we were so happy that you came to church this Sabbath. He said, look for that person. Look for the person who loves the souls of people. Who loves their souls for salvation. That, does this make sense, ladies? The whole, especially the holy ladies. You know, you holy ones out there who are like, you're, I mean, you're, when women are holy, I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> it's extreme. So I'm just I'm putting it out there for you. Like, look for someone who loves the work of the Lord. And that's assuming you love the work of the Lord too, amen? You love souls? All right. Singularity of purpose, having the same purpose. Here, God says, after he, he makes this decision, let's make man in our image, there's a, there's a method that he goes through, and here we're talking about God being organized and intentional. Do you think it's, it's random that God created Adam, the male, first, and then later created Eve, the female. Do you think that's random? I mean, if God is intentional, is it likely to be random? No, right? I have a friend of mine from college. She, uh, she was pregnant, expecting, and I was talking to her on the phone, I'm like, several years ago. And uh, I was like, oh, so what are you going to do? Because she was in grad school, husband's working. I'm like, what are you going to do for childcare? And she's like, man, you know, it's just, it's just an accident of nature that I'm the one who has to carry the baby. And once this baby is out, like, I mean, it's all his. <laughs> and I was like, accident of nature? Like, that... And she went on. She's like, you know, one day science is going to figure out how to make sure that men can get pregnant too. <laughs> because that pregnancy life is not fun, right? And I was like, okay. Mm I was like, I, I, you know, the Bible says that God created male and female like it was intentional. Okay, so that was to speak to intentionality. Intentionality. When God created Adam, what did he do after he created Adam? You have your Bibles open. What did he do after? Right after he created Adam, he? No, 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 no. He didn't create a helpmeet right after. Later. Yes, okay. All together we got it. 
he creates Adam, and then there's kind of like a break in the story. Then God goes off and he, he forms this garden, right? And he, he plants a garden, and then he takes Adam and he puts him in the garden. Once he puts Adam in the garden, what does he tell Adam? Right. He gives Adam work to do. This one I got from my dad, okay? So if you don't like it, blame my dad. My dad said, if you're a man, before you be going for your Eve, make sure you got a J-O-B. <laughs> That's what my dad said, okay? And I trust him because, I mean, he pulled it from there. So God gave Adam a work to do. Now, <laughs> uh I know I said have a J-O-B, but I, I think more important than a job per se is have a work. Like you need to have a sense of your calling from God and the work that you need to do personally before you're going out there and trying to find somebody to share your life with when you don't got a life to begin with. Get a life. <laughs> Nicely put. <laughs> right? So, so, so this, is, this is for a man before he even created Eve. He said, here, Adam, I'm going to put you in the garden and I'm going to give you work to do. Uh, incidentally, he also goes to Adam. I find this to be important. He goes to Adam and he says, Adam, look at everything in the garden. Eat everything you see here except for the fruit from that one tree. Was Eve there? Interesting. Eve wasn't there when God gave Adam that instruction. But did, did, when we get to chapter 3, did Eve know about it? How'd she hear? Adam had to tell her, look, men, you've got to be a spiritual leader in your home. You've got to be going to God and getting a word from the Lord that you can tell your wife and your family. This is a true story. You've got to lead in your home spiritually. And how you lead in your home spiritually isn't being a bully, isn't being like, I'm the man of the house, whatever I say goes. <laughs> like, it's not like that, but it's once you have that intimate relationship with God and it's like, Lord, what message are you giving to me? And that's a message that you can relay to your family as well. That doesn't mean women don't have a spiritual life. Amen? But it does mean that before God told Eve, God told Adam, and Adam had a responsibility. There's something with being first on the scene. We're still talking about intentionality here. There's something with being first on the scene. God intentionally puts Adam first on the scene. Tell me this. You feminists out there. Are men better than women? No. <laughs> funny thing is, it's funny because I said you feminists, nobody wanted to answer. <laughs> okay, I didn't mean you feminists. What I meant to say is, church of the living God. <laughs> Tell me something. Are men more valuable than women? Are women more valuable than men? Okay, I was wondering if I'd get a yes no matter what I said. Okay, all right, okay. <laughs> um, uh, when God created men and women, okay, 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 let me resolve it. When Jesus died, 
We're talking about value. When Jesus died, did Jesus die for both men and women equally? Amen. Men and women in God's sight, as far as value goes, equally valuable. As far as salvation goes and the importance of us being saved and what he's willing to give and do for us, of equal value. Now when God puts Adam in the garden first, does that make him of more value? No. But does that put a responsibility on him that wasn't put on Eve? We're talking intentionality. First to the scene, a lot of times when you get, if you get to a place first, you kind of have a responsibility to those who are going to come after you. you. You're driving down the road, there's an accident that just happened, you turn on your hazard lights because you're the first person there. You don't want people to come crashing into the accident behind you, right? Does that mean like you're, you're the most amazing person that ever lived? you got there first and you did what you there's a responsibility that comes with being first on the scene and and my reading of this and my understanding is that God in expanding that picture that he gave us in Genesis chapter 1 is trying to tell us something that the way that I created the way the intention that I had when I created was to say that when man gets to the scene first I put Adam there I put a man a male there because there's a responsibility that should go with him being a man That's my understanding of the Bible. Men and women are different. Men and women are not just different biologically. Men and women are different in terms of the roles that they play. Let me say this and and, uh, let me see how much time, if I have time to elaborate on it. I do. Um, I'm going to say this. Some of you are going to disagree off the bat but I want you to bear with me, okay? I went to a women's college and I was indoctrinated while I was there. However, ever since I have, even while I was there, I committed my life to the Lord and I believe that he has helped me to work through a lot of the indoctrination, okay? So I don't think this is coming from indoctrination. That was a disclaimer, just to say I'm human. However, I'm going to say it now, okay? It's like this thick atmosphere, like what's she going to say? Right now, in our society, in the world, gender is under attack. The college I went to, uh, it's the, the top women's college in the States, and... I think it was a year or so ago, they had to put out, the, the president of the college had to write a letter to all of the alumni addressing this issue of gender. Because it's a women's college, but you have individuals who were born female choosing to be male, wanting to attend a women's college. And then you have individuals who were born male choosing to be female, wanting to attend a women's college, what do you do about bathrooms? I mean, it's a very simple question. 
And they'd been having uh, drama on campus because the, the transgender members of the community felt like they were being ostracized because, uh, you know, you're, you're, uh, uh, you were biologically, are, you're, it's hard to talk about this stuff, right? You're biologically female, but you are currently undergoing the hormonal treatment to appear more male. And so you go to the ladies' bathroom in the dorm, but you kind of look like a dude, but you're actually a chick. And then the other women are like, what's a man doing in here? But then you're like, nah, I'm a what? I'm a man. I'm a, I'm me. And it's like, so the, I mean, the, the, like, what do you do with that? This is what's happening in the world. And they don't know what to do about it. Uh, I, I got a, a forward the other day on WhatsApp about Celine Dion championing a gender-neutral um, fashion thingy for kids. Uh, I think the video maybe was kind of like a, a, a little bit alarmist, but I think the, the point being, what am I going to dress my kids in? Right? So I got two sons, and like, should I put them in pink pants? <laughs> no, he says. Right? What if when I go shopping, there are no more blue pants for boys? And it's like, you know, the world is a mess over this thing. That wasn't the bomb like, that I was trying to prepare you guys for. Here's what I was trying to prepare you guys for. My understanding of gender. That gender is a social construct. Gender is socially constructed. Your sex... Your biology, that's how you're born. You're born male, you're born female, right? Generally speaking. I know there are few exceptions of people who are born with, you know, genitalia of both, you know, but generally speaking, you're born male, you're born female. In, aside from the genitalia, there's, there's, there's a hormonal element that goes with being male or being female. And generally speaking, Males have more testosterone, for instance. Females have more estrogen, for example. And those hormones affect the way that you behave. So generally more testosterone means generally more aggression. More estrogen usually means more nurturing. We're together? Yes. Now, beyond your biology... There comes now, how are you expected to act in society based on that biology? Okay? So you're a man, you go to different communities, you go to different societies. Um, because you're a man, okay, I'll give this an example. In the United States, when it's time to eat, they say, ladies first. Right? It's time to eat, like women and children go eat. And then the men will follow later. No? Yeah. Opening doors, ladies first. Ladies first, ladies first, ladies first. I love being in America. Okay? <laughs> Where I come from, when it's time to eat, men first. Men go eat. Ladies, women and children, in the kitchen. Let the men take, take their fill. You eat the leftovers. Now, this is how you're expected, this is how men are expected to behave 
in society based on the fact that they are men, right? This is now the social construct of your gender. Are you following what I'm saying? Like, like how your maleness translates into your social interaction. You're following what I'm saying? And that's the part that I'm saying is socially constructed. Now, I want to add this to that. The Bible, the Bible has its own culture. The Bible has its own culture. The Bible has realities of how people ought to interact in society. The Bible has a reality of how women should behave in society. The Bible has a reality of how men should behave in society. These, these are real things. They're there in scripture. Uh, so, so when I say gender is socially constructed, I believe that our church needs to have a construct for gender that transcends our societal norms. That is sensitive to, but transcends. Okay? Um, just, just to keep going with that illustration from back home. How it, how it generally happens is, you know, women are kind of like the donkeys. You know, they're the burden bearers. In, in, in the countryside, especially, actually even in the city. So if you go, but in the rural areas, when, it, when it's time uh, to, to fetch firewood, the woman got the, the baby on her back and she got firewood on her head and the man is walking in front of her. Right? Because he's the protector. Okay? Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and it's like that, right? So it's now, now it's time when it's time to like uh, wash the clothes, you know, the woman like grabs all the clothes and she goes down to the, to the, to the stream and she's like, wash all the clothes. My sister was telling me a story. She was speaking one time at a women's retreat and um, she, she was talking to the ladies and she's like, hey, ladies, allow your husbands to help you. You know, she had to say, allow your husbands to help you with chores around the house. And there was one lady there, all the, all the ladies started laughing and they were like, ha ha, what you're saying is funny. Because there's this one lady who her husband would help her do the laundry. And it was a mockery. Like people were like, I mean, that guy, like, uh, for those of you who are cultures where they have like juju and stuff. So like that guy, he's she fed him something, you know. <laughs> like, how can he be out there like washing clothes? Like that is so unmanly. But should should our Christianity transcend the culture? Yes. So yes, maybe that's a cultural norm where I come from. But that doesn't mean that's how you ought to behave. Are you following what I'm saying? I gave the example of my culture that I come from because I felt like it would be easy for you to relate to that one. Because if I come close to home, it gets harder. <laughs> it gets harder to relate to that. That men... Uh, hmm. Right now, in American culture, your manhood is under attack. Like, it's not okay to be assertive. It's not okay to be a leader. It's not okay to be decisive because those things mean you're a bully. That's, I mean, that's, that's the picture in society. 
And women, no matter what you do, you're always right. Please, I'm not diminishing. <laughs> like, this is so hard. I'm, I'm trying to say this, like, with as much sensitivity and, like, with all the, you know, buffers as possible. I, I'm, I'm not saying that there are no men who have abused their power. Ellen White talks about that. She says that God gave men a responsibility and they have abused it. And I, I, that's why I gave the illustration from back in my home country. I think what is more prevalent still where I come from is the abuse of that power. But I feel like Western society has kind of swung where it's kind of like the power that was being abused has now been completely removed. And so God created Adam and put him in the garden. Martian men, Venetian women, is to say that we're different and it's okay. Men and women are different and it's okay. As a matter of fact, it's good. In fact, it's part of God's design. And the world is hungering and thirsting to see what a good picture of that looks like. We don't have time in the session to go into nitty-gritty details, but um, something that I'll point out, especially in the next session, is my, my personal goal in the seminar is to encourage you to think, is to g give you some fodder to think on, and then go think about it. Go study it out and, and figure it out. But the truth is the world needs to see what a woman looks like. Look, uh, okay, this is my last high horse and then I'm going to go back to where I was trying to go. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's a, a certain picture that, that in, in Western society of what true femininity looks like. And it looks like a woman who has children and then stays home and takes care of them. I'm critiquing it. I'm critiquing it based on the Bible. People talk about all the time, oh, that Proverbs 31 woman. You want to get a Proverbs 31 woman. Have you read Proverbs 31? Anybody? Is that woman sitting at home and just watching the kids? No. I mean, she's industrious. She is, she is so industrious and so, like, she's, she's taking care of financial needs in her home. And she's so good at what she does to the point that she is spoken of not just in the home but outside of the home. So look, I'm critiquing from the Bible this idea that women have no place doing anything out in society. I critique it. I don't think it's biblical. Look, the world needs to see women who believe in the Bible and the role that God has given to them, yes, as mothers, as nurturers, as women in Israel, but not just a woman who sits at home and watches kids. Look, if you're not developing your mind as a woman, you're doing your children a disservice. You're doing society a disservice because your children will grow up stunted and they will not be a blessing to the world that they should be. The world needs to see those kind of women. Where are they? And where are the men? Where are the men who stand for right though the heavens fall? Where are the men of conviction? 
Where are the men who won't stand for injustice, whether it's done to a child or done to a woman or done to a fellow man? Where are those kind of men? That is what the world is craving for. The world needs to see that. We haven't talked a lot about the dating thing because I think that the dating thing kind of comes secondary to figuring out who you are first. Who are you in Jesus? What is your identity in Christ? What is your calling, your personal calling? Women, God has a calling for you. As a woman, men, God has a calling for you. Figure it out. Pray on it. Fast about it. And then you know what will happen? As you figure out, this is where God is leading me. This is what God is calling me to. When it comes time that that, that desire in your heart for companionship, it's not a bad thing. It's divinely ordained. But you will know that you don't want to sacrifice who God has called you to be just so you can get married. Well, people tell me, uh, no, man, you know, guys in the church, they're not nice. Guys outside the church, like, they're gentlemen. Like, pick you up for a date. Guys at church tell you, I'll meet you over at Taco Bell. (laughs) And that's all you're looking for in a man. All you're looking for is someone going to pick you up for a date? Okay. Figure out who you are in Christ. Find your identity in him. Let's keep reading. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. It's not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a help. Meet for him. I'll make a helper who is well suited for him. Did you catch that? I will make a helper for him who is suited to him. I'm not going to have him marry anybody. I'm going to have him marry the person who is well suited for him. Ellen White talks about, you know, the questions you should ask before you, you embark on this, on this relationship. And she says, will she make you happy in her love? I like that, you know? It's, it's, it's somebody who is you're compatible with. So the Bible says, right? It's somebody who is who's compatible with, with, with your calling in life. Somebody who is compatible with your personality. Some of you don't even know what your personality is yet. How will you find someone compatible? (laughs) It's true. You're like, do I like to laugh or not? (laughs) It's like, figure it out first. And then you find a help meet for you. Okay? God says, I'll make a help meet for him, suitable for him. Out of the ground, verse 19. The Lord formed every beast of the field. And then he calls Adam to give them names. You notice, God decided even before Adam decided that Adam needed a helper. Did you catch it? 
You didn't catch it. Okay. Verse 18. God is the one who says it is not good for man to be alone. Yeah? So he goes and he forms all the creatures, brings Adam to name them, and then in verse 20, after he names them, for Adam there was not found a help meet for him. Did God know that already? So who figured it out? Adam. So God, even before Adam was like, man, Lord, I just need somebody. I'm out here like thirsty. No, God. (laughs) Before Adam even realized that he needed a help, God is the one who said, I am going to make him a helper. And then he put him in a situation where he was working for the Lord. Did you catch it? God gave him a work to do. He was working for the Lord. And as he is working for the Lord, he's like, hold up. I don't have a helper. Meet for me. Right? So get about doing God's business. I, I, my husband calls GYC, get your companion. It's like, it's like, you know, he meets a young person. He's like, hey, you've been to GYC? Hey, you should go. <laughs> it's like, get your companion. No, GYC, it, it, blessed experience and a good place to meet people. Amen? Amen, right? Um, but the, the, the main purpose, the main focus is, Lord, give me a work to do. As I am working for you. As you are working for the Lord. As, as a matter of fact, you don't even really know what you need until you're working for God. Because as you're working for him, you learn things about yourself. You're like, man, I thought I was, I thought I was a patient person. I am so impatient. Right? You're like, I thought I was kind. But when somebody rubs me the wrong way, mm, you don't even know who you are until you're working for him. So you get about the Lord's business and as you are working for the Lord, I'm not discouraging relationships. You hear me? Do you feel me discouraging you? I don't mean to discourage. I am not discouraging you. I'm encouraging you. I'm encouraging you. This is a way to do it that you end up with somebody that you are compatible with in terms of your personality as you get to know yourself in Jesus, in terms of your ministry goals as you get to know what the Lord is calling you to in your life. Adam is busy naming the animals and then he has a realization of what he needs. Verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Mm -mm -mm. And he slept. While he was sleeping, God takes one of his ribs, closes up the flesh, closes up the flesh, and then he forms a woman and brings her to the man. And it's like the most beautiful love story. It's like, he's like, what? Where did she come from? (laughs) And she's everything he ever wanted. And you know who made her? God made her. So women, God needs to make you. And this is while he's sleeping. (laughs) Okay. Um, When I first, one of my first, when I was just kind of getting into that conversion experience, uh, there was someone who used to lead Bible studies. And I'm telling you, every girl in our Bible study was in love with this dude. Because, like, he was the spiritual guy, you know, leading Bible study. 
And, um, oh no, is my husband going to hear this? I love you, honey. All right. It was just a crush. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, like, what the funny thing is, like, all the girls, we'd be trying to make ourselves the kind of person that he would like. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you like, I feel like he's the kind of guy who likes a girl who is like outgoing. So you'd like try to be more outgoing, right? And then you're like, okay, that didn't work for her. So let me try and be the like shy, coy one. <laughs> and trying to make myself into the kind of person that he would like. The Bible is saying, women, let God make you. Let God make you. Some of you are shy. Some of you are more coy. Some of you are loud and outspoken. Some, it's okay. Be who you are in God. Find your identity in Christ as a woman. He's fast asleep over there. God's working on him. Let God work on you. Yeah? Let God create you into the woman that you need to be. When the time is right, God gonna wake him up. He'll see you. Okay? And then he'll be like, whoa, where did she come from? <laughs> okay, when the time is right. The time may not be now. Okay, we're running out of time. Um, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he woman and brought her unto the man. 23, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones. Flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. They shall be one flesh. It was never, ever God's intention for divorce to happen. Never. I, I don't have personal experience with divorce in myself getting divorced, but I have been close to a divorce situation, and it's painful. Nobody comes out unscathed. Nobody. Everybody, everybody is hurt. It was never God's intention. So when he says the two shall be one flesh, and I'm talking about a relationship which was bad. He's abusive. The children are watching their mom get abused verbally, emotionally. The kids are getting abused verbally, emotionally. But when the divorce happens, the pain is still real. It's crazy. Because the two becoming one flesh, that thing is for real. So you want to make sure, those of you before getting into it, you're not doing this with somebody that you're going to end up doing this with. Everybody gets hurt. Your sisters, your brothers, cousins, uncles, everybody is hurt in a divorce. Never God's intention. Those of you who are married, and maybe it's not so great, unfortunately this is not a marriage seminar, and if it were, I would probably be one of the least qualified people to be giving it. <laughs> I have more experience on the dating, like getting into the thing 
side than the on the other side. So, um, but but let me say this much: those of you who are married, it may not always be good, and there'll be hard times. But God intended for once you're married to make it work, find a way to make it work. And we've been talking about on the single side, knowing yourself in Christ, committing your life to him, committing yourself to his work. On the married side, guys, it's the same thing. It's God. God first, God in the middle, God at the end. That's the only way you'll make it through your marriage. And, and, and the unfortunate thing is if you know, Ellen White talks about way too many people are mar- mated but not matched. Unfortunate thing is if you're mated but not matched, but you're mated, it's going to be harder to make it work. But I believe in a miracle-working God. I do. I, be- I really believe that God can change us. God can change us through the power of his word. God can take our marriages and he can make them into the kind of thing that the world needs to see. God can do it. Before you get into it, be careful. Once you're in it, just pray. (laughs) Hang in there. And go to marriage seminars. Okay. We're we're about out of time. Um, last point and then I'll, I'll do like a question or two if, if there are any questions last point is the, in this great controversy this relationship thing and how God intended for things to be um, if God if, if God's character is under attack and who God is and a picture of who God is is under attack one of the most effective way that the devil is doing this is attacking relationships have you ever seen like, like an old couple, like in their 80s or 90s, and they are so sweet to each other? Has anyone ever seen that? Doesn't it make you want to cry? I don't know. It's like sweet beyond like Instagram. It's like, man, this is just... It's, 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 it's a beautiful thing. And you think about, you know they've gone through trials and like all this stuff, but then there they are. And I remember I was at a retreat... Um, it was a, a mystery treat, and this this old couple, and and he's kind of uh, what's this Alzheimer's, the, the Parkinson's, Parkinson's, the Parkinson's is the one shakes you, right? He's got Parkinson's a little bit, and we were out sitting with them at at the breakfast table, and he stands up. I mean, the man walks so slow. He gets up and he walks over to where there are the drinks and he get, grabs a cup of orange juice with the hand that doesn't shake as much. And he brings it to his wife. And he puts it down and then he goes back to get his own. I was like, no! <laughs> That's the sweetest thing I ever saw. <laughs> you know? Because she doesn't have Parkinson's. She could have got up and got her own juice. <laughs> you know? But if the world sees, if the world could see love like that, you know, like self-sacrificing love, like families, uh, husbands and wives, unions that are 
are they love each other they love souls like they're not like inward focused they're focused on helping other people helping each other i mean the world is craving for that that's why we've got so many rom-coms guys that's why all the christmas movies you know that hallmark <laughs> that's what it's all about but they're craving for the real deal and we are the people to give that to the world when they see that they see a glimpse of god and you become an argument just in your relationship you become an argument in favor of the gospel let's bow our heads and i'll take a question or two lord help us help us to realize who we are called to be in you and then lord bless our unions our relationships so that they can be a reflection of you lord we pray that the world would look at us as a witness in everything that we do and that they would come to love you more pray these things in jesus name amen this message was recorded at the gyc to the end in houston texas GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.